Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Well, we are in a series called Faith Over Fear. And what we are doing uh, for these few weeks is we're looking at the life of Elisha in the Old Testament, just gaining some wisdom, gaining some life-changing principles. I'm wondering how many of you have played uh, the game in your mind called What If? I wonder if. Now, if you're a sports fan, perhaps you've done this more than a few times. I wonder if that ball just didn't hit the upright and go outside, but what if it went inside? I wonder if my team was better. I wonder if my team was faster or stronger. Uh, But sometimes we start doing the what-if game in our own life, and you start thinking, uh, I wonder if such and such. I I wonder if this might have happened. I might be happier, or my life might be a little easier Um, If I had a better job, maybe you've thought about that. If I had a better job that paid more, I would give more. I would. If If I won the lottery, I would take the first $10 and give it away, God. I really would. Out of the goodness of my heart. If only I had more money, I would do more. If I had more money, I would have more time. How many of you told yourself that? Yeah. If I had a bigger house, I would, I, would, I would have more room for things. If I had, if, if, if I had uh, this or if I had that, if only God would answer this prayer. And I don't know what your if only or what if uh, would be, but throughout life we'll recognize that while we have those needs and we tend to think, if only God, you would provide this need, my life would get better. This is a need in my life, and if only you provided this need, my life would be better. What I want to do is encourage you to listen uh, to the life of Elisha today through the lens of your biggest need. What's your biggest need this morning? What is your biggest need? It might be a health concern. It might be a relationship. It might be a financial thing. It might be a career thing. What is your biggest need? And if we collectively looked at this passage of Scripture uh, through the lens of our biggest need, I believe God will encourage us greatly this morning. It's my prayer that he would minister us in a very specific way, special way. Uh, we have chosen this theme for this time because uh, daily we are given opportunities to choose faith or fear. And oftentimes, we will simply make the choice that is easiest, and oftentimes that rests in fear. Um, we're we're kind of centered or anchored around this New Testament verse in 2 Timothy for, uh, 1 and verse 7. Uh, maybe those of you who are online and those of you who are here, uh, let's say this verse aloud together. Ready? Begin. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. It's very clear here that if there is a spirit of fear that leads you, because I'm afraid I'm going to take this direction in my life, because of this fear I'm going to go this way, if there is a spirit of fear, where are we 100% sure that that fear did not come from according to this verse? It didn't come from God. 
God has not given us the spirit of fear. So God replaces that spirit of fear very specifically with the threefold kind of spirit. He says, of power, of love, and a sound mind. Of power, you have strength. Oftentimes when we rest in fear, it cripples our strength spiritually. Our faith diminishes, our faith crumbles, and we don't feel like we can flex our spiritual muscle like we used to. So he says a spirit of power, of love. Oftentimes, a spirit of fear will cause you to turn inward really quick. It'll cause you to be really selfish in your actions and in your thoughts. It'll cause you to think of you, yourself, and you. And so he says, I'm going to give you the spirit of love that allows you to break through that barrier of fear and reach out in relationships. And then he says, of a sound mind. How many of you understand when you are full of fear, it's not always the best time to make a decision, right? It's usually not a best time to make life-changing decisions when you're full of fear. And so he says, uh, I'm going to give you a, a spirit of sound mind. So this is kind of where we're anchoring our verse, our, our message. Last week we looked at Elisha's uh, story when he was called into the service of God. And we learned a couple of lessons. Number one, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. In fact, God is often, often strategically vague in his directions. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. We also learn that those God uses the most are the ones that hold on to the least. And to step towards your destiny, you have to step away from your security. If you didn't uh, get a chance to hear last week's message, we encourage you to do so. Uh, it'll encourage you. Today, we're going to talk about digging ditches. The context for digging ditches, uh, we're going to see that three kings joined forces together to do battle against the enemy, the Moabites. Three kings, three armies, three territories, three kingdoms against one. And they think, boy, we're going to have a very easy, decisive victory. But often in life, things do not go as planned, right? Can I get an amen right there? Things don't go as planned. And so uh, you figure you plan on some things and things look decisive or they look like they're going to go pretty easily in your favor. And instead of winning easily in this story, uh, they find their troops marching for seven days, wandering in the desert until they realize they're out of water. Their animals are going to die and now they're going to die. And so this is the story. And so I want us to go into the story with your biggest need in your perspective, but also with this anchoring us. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. All right, so think about your need. Think about the financial situation you're in. Think about the relationship. Think about the health crisis. And think about the power of these words that your greatest need become a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. That's what we see coming to life here in 2 Kings. So if you have your Bible, you can go to the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 3. If you have an a app and you're uh, following us on the Bible app, you can follow the notes there in the menu section or you can follow along here. 2 Kings chapter 3. We're going to read this story and starting in verse 9. It says this, So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. 
What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? Verse 11, but Jehoshaphat said, you've heard the phrase jumping Jehoshaphat? This is where it comes from. He exclaimed, he was jumping. I don't know if that's true, but. Verse 11, but Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? And an officer of the king of Israel said, are answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. What does that mean? Well, that means he was uh, Elijah's apprentice. That was the phrase they used to identify someone that was uh, under someone else in terms of tutelage, instruction, mentor. Verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now, if you missed last week, again, Elijah mentored Elisha. And if you know about the prophet of Elijah, when the nation was in a great drought, he called on God. God sent rain from above. It caused one of the biggest storms in history. And so they're thinking, well, if Elijah had an apprentice and it's Elisha, perhaps he knows what he's doing. Maybe he can help. Maybe he'll help us. Um, again, there's three kings. They, uh, they uh, come up with a strategy together to defeat this one other king. They uh, march for seven days. They're out of water. Their animals need water, but also their, uh, their soldiers as well. Now, what you need to know is even though it said one of the kings was the king of Israel, these three kings at these specific times were not following God. They were not following after Jesus Uh, Otherwise, they might have prayed to God on their own, but they said, uh, we are in trouble. Let's pray. We are in trouble. Maybe God can help us. And maybe you found yourself in that position in life before that your greatest trouble actually drives you to depend on God, right? And your greatest need. And so that's what's happening here. They said, is there anyone who's like really good with God? Is there anyone that's close to God? Is there anyone that has really good uh, talking relationship with God that can help us in this moment? And so that's how they come up with Elisha. Now, when they hear about Elisha, at this point, he has done already a number of miracles on the behalf of God. He has separated the Jordan River. There was a polluted spring of water. He caused it to become pure again. Um, There was this one time where he was walking. um, And again, he's a man of God. He is, um, he's extraordinarily powerful in the spirit of God. Um, He's done miracles. We talked about last week, he's done more miracles in his lifetime than anyone else recorded in scripture besides Jesus. And he's walking on one day And three kids were making fun of him. The Bible says that they were calling him names. Now, normally when you call someone a name, you're you're picking on an attribute of them. So they just called him. This is in the Bible. It's a good reason to read your Bible. You get stories like this one. And they just called him Baldy. Thank you. Uh, It took a while. Marcy, was that you? They called him Baldy, Baldy. The King James Version says, go up thou bald man. I remember reading that as a little boy thinking, that's just a strange insult. In other words, get out of town, Baldy. You have no hair. You have no wit about you. You have no wisdom. You see, you understand in the Old Testament, um, wisdom came with age, and with your age came gray hair. And so 
It was a sign that you were respected. It was a sign that you were an elder. It was a sign that you were a leader in the community. And so they looked at Elisha and they said, go about bald man. You Google that phrase and, and read the story. You know what he did? He put a curse on them from God. And two bears came and devoured the kids. Marcy, you're safe today. The rest of you, I don't know. I don't know what might happen today. Don't make fun of bald people. I'm just saying. It's in the Bible. This is actually recorded in Scripture. Hey, I, th- I want to say it was two female bears came out and devoured the three uh, kids. So this is who they're calling on. They're calling on a guy who has an extremely powerful sense of the Spirit of God in him, but also a guy who, is, um, who might be a little on edge as a person, who might be a little um, assertive, you might say. Let's call him assertive this morning. Um, and so they call on to him. Uh, we're going to pick up the story in verse 13 because you're going to see with me, Elisha kind of cops an attitude at this point. Elisha said to the king of Israel, why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your mother and to, the, or to the, your father and to the prophets of your mother. I, I need you to understand he is, um, he's insulting their mothers. This is what the prophet of God is doing. Um, there's a little attitude in his voice. The king responds, no, the king answering of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Uh, watch this. Look at Elisha, verse uh, 14. Elisha says, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, if I didn't have any respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat the king, I would not pay attention to any of you. He says, if it wasn't for this one guy, now he's not necessarily serving God right now, but if it wasn't for this one guy, I wouldn't even be here for the rest of you. Jehoshaphat, as we know, was not serving God, but he did at one time uh, fear God, and so he basically says, I wouldn't have time to pay attention to any one of you two. Jehoshaphat's here. He has a little bit of redeeming quality. That's why I'm here. You need a prophet. I'm a prophet. What do you want? That's basically where Elisha's at. So they plead on him to do so, to bring him or, or to have him help them. And look at his request in verse 15. Bring me a harpist. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment, because he's basically saying, if you want me to prophesy, I need some music. I need to get in the mood, because I just don't feel like helping you right now. And so this is what Elijah says. Tell you what, why don't you go bring me Uh, The biggest, most hard to move, most difficult to uh, transport instrument that you have. And I'll see about helping you. Um, Again, we're looking at it from 2021, and it feels like a really demanding request. And I think a little bit of Elijah, like he could have asked for a flute, right? He could have asked for something a little simpler, but he wanted a harp, and I think that's a little bit of Elisha's personality coming out, but the principle of music here, I think is an overarching principle in in the scriptures, in the Old Testament especially, when people were trying to hear from God, when they were trying to get a word from God, when they were trying to get direction, you'll often find that they played music. You can find that 
uh, Moses appreciated music. And one of the first things they did when they crossed the Jordan River is there was a song that they sung and they worshiped with this song. You find David, who was an incredible musician and a lyricist. And, you know, um, the, the book of Psalms is largely his writings. But whenever he was in trouble, whenever he was uh, in a point where he needed direction, he would sing. He would play instruments. And I would encourage you in your life, as you are getting ready to make big decisions, as you need the presence of God in your life, or you need the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life, or maybe you're just in a mood and you need to worship, uh, don't end, underestimate the power of music in your life. Uh, I know it's hard on a Sunday morning when we're all here and we're all standing and people might be able to hear you but you know what the biblical requirement to sing praises to God is is if you have a pulse the Bible's very clear everything that has breath praise the Lord so if you're at home if you have breath if you have a pulse if you're here you are obligated to worship a holy and righteous God who sent his son to die on a cross for you so that we might have life eternal and a more significant, meaningful life here. And so the next time we get to sing, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Elisha's here in this moment and he realizes he needs to hear and get a sense from the Holy Spirit and so he asks for some music. It says here, while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha. What a powerful phrase, that when the music was played and the worship was played, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha. Verse 16, and he said, this is what the Lord says, I will fill this valley with pools of water. Now, if you're the kings now, you must be saying, yes, finally. Here's this guy who's been difficult to deal with. He didn't want to come in the first place. He's been known to be a little off kilter in his prayers. And yet, here he comes and he's promised us a valley filled with pools of water. This is exactly what is needed until he finishes his sentence. Look at verse 17. This is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. And you, your cattle, and your animals will drink. He gives them this word that this is going to be really strange, but I'm telling you, there are going to be pools of water right in front of you. Your greatest need is going to be fulfilled, uh, but it's not going to come from the rain. It's not going to come from the wind. In fact, you'll have enough water. Your cattle will have enough water. And he says, by the way, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab in your hands. By the way, this whole other battle you're thinking of, this, this whole reason you're gathered here in the first place, he's going to take care of your immediate need, but he's also going to take care of your future need. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. This is pretty good news. He says you will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. In other words, you have no idea what you ask for, and God is so powerful, he's going to do this. And at a snap of a finger, he could do this. This is an easy thing for God to do, uh, but he also gives them a command. And if you look in Scripture there, he says, I need you to dig ditches. He asks them to dig ditches as a sign that they understand that this is going to be from God. It's not going to be from anywhere else, but I need you to dig ditches because this is going to be a sign from God. In other words, he gives them a ridiculous command. 
there's not going to be any wind. There's not going to be any rain. And Elisha says, dig some ditches because you're going to need a place to gather all the water that comes. So that's the story. That's the context of our story. Today we're talking about faith over fear takes action. What are we talking about? We're talking about faith that works, that does something, that does not only believe something, but also moves our behavior in a way that recognizes that we understand God is at work. So two principles about faith really quick this morning. Number one, only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. James 2.26 says it this way, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith without deeds is dead. And so Christian church, if you are a, a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and you believe in God, but it never affects your behavior, there's never a step of faith, there's never a part of your life that actually acts in according to that faith, James describes your faith life this way, it's dead. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, not only do we believe, but we move when the Spirit of God leads us to. Because if we're not careful, if we live a life where we don't move when the Spirit asks us to, we become stationary. And the longer we become stationary in our faith, we become slaves to fear. And we don't move in our life because we are shackled by the fear that would restrict us from moving forward. The body without the Spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so fear owns us. It dictates to us behaviors and our actions and our thoughts. And so you might believe God can heal any relationship, but fear says this, don't you dare forgive him. Because if you forgive them, they win. So you believe God can provide in any, any circumstance, and yet fears comes to you and says, don't give any money. The less you have, the less you have. The math doesn't make sense, and fear restricts you. You might believe God for opportunities, and you might believe God for situations in your life, but if we do not ever move in according to the way the Holy Spirit is leading us, we're not slaves. Uh, we become slaves to fear. We don't ever led by the Spirit. So fear rules our lives. And instead of choosing faith, we live as slaves to fear. Now here's the thing. God has called us to so much more. Uh, God did not die on the cross simply to give you an escape ticket out of hell. Otherwise, we would have entered the very presence of God the moment we put our faith in him. He has called us to this life to live lives that are authentic and according to Scripture that we would impact this world for the kingdom of God. And while we live our lives here, we would have this full and abundant life with meaning and significance. And we cannot do that if we're beholden to fear, if we're slaves to fear. And so, only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch, and our obedience to God is an act of faith. 
when you obey to God in a way that's very clear that he's asking you to move, this is the act of faith. This is where we get to flex our faith. This is where we get to walk in the steps of our faith. This is when the rubber meets the road. This is when the Christian life makes sense and we go full all in for Jesus. Up until then, we're just believing in God, but there's no movement in our life. Now, here's the thing. God, the God of the universe, didn't need these soldiers to dig a ditch. He just didn't. God can do anything. He could have done, he could have provided this miracle in any way he wanted. But here's the thing. When we show God our faith, he shows us his faithfulness. When we show God our faith, he shows us our faithfulness. So when we step out by faith and say, Lord, this doesn't make sense. I was hurt. I don't want to forgive him. It feels better not to forgive him. I'm going to punish them by not forgiving them. And yet when we think about what Christ did on the cross to forgive us, and then he says uh, in the Lord's Prayer that we should be forgiving our debtors, so you go out in faith and you said, Lord, I don't understand this. I'm going I'm to I'm forgive this person. I may not trust them fully. I may not put them back in my life wholly. I may not go on another business venture with them. I may not let them in this part of my life again. But I no longer reserve the right to get even. This is what forgiveness is. It doesn't mean we fully trust them. It doesn't mean that we um, let them back in our life. It means that our right to get even, we've now given it to God. I don't need to get even anymore, Lord, so I'm going to forgive them. And when you show God that piece of faith, God shows up in his faithfulness. And you will be amazed how God either will heal that relationship or he will bring other relationships in your life to fulfill the space that that relationship had. You think about your finances and you say, man, I just do not understand how God's math works. Um, he keeps me wanting to give me. He keeps wanting me to give money, but he doesn't give me any more to give. And so God's economy works this way: when you step out in faith, and when the Holy Spirit moves you to give, and you give, what ends up happening is this: you show God His faith, your faith, and He shows up in His faithfulness, and all of a sudden, you live. You, you will be able to live on less through the power of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, he makes the money that you have left stretch farther than if you kept everything yourself. He just does. He said, Daniel, I'd like you to explain it to you. I just did. That's the best I got. It's going to take a step of faith. And when you show God your faith, he will show his faithfulness. It's interesting here because they knew they were at their wit's end, so they said, we need someone who can talk to God. They bring Elisha in, and Elisha's instruction to them is so weird and so out of bounds that they're having a hard time understand. But one of the things they realize is this, when they show their faith, God will show up with their faithfulness. Um, the New Testament is full of these kinds of examples. Uh, we talked about one last week. Peter's on the boat. Jesus says, or he says to Jesus, if that's really you, tell me to come to you and I'll come to you. And Jesus said, come. Jesus didn't say, You'll, you can walk on water, then come. He doesn't, uh, there's no indication that Jesus assured him, 
that Peter would be able to walk on water, all he said was, well, just come on out. Come on out. And when Peter was on the boat, he got out of the boat. When he showed him his faith, he saw God's faithfulness. Um, you think about the New Testament where there's a guy with a withered hand. And it's an interesting, interesting miracle. Uh, and Jesus says to him, just stretch out your hand. In other words, I can heal you, but I want you to see and believe it. Who knows how long that hand had been without use? Who knows how long that hand had been numb where the man had not been able to move it or to see it clear anymore or to see it with strength? And Jesus said, well, stretch out your hand. And as soon as he did, Jesus' power healed him. When he showed his faith, God showed his faithfulness. There was a time where there was a guy who couldn't walk for years and years and years and his whole life, and Jesus walked by and said, hey, why don't you go pick up your mat and go walk? Get on out of here. He had a mat that he had been laying on, and the Bible records that since he was a young boy, he, he laid at this pool of shalom. I think it was the pool of shalom, I forget, but it was the pool, and whenever the water stirred, people would go into the water. The water had healing properties. People would come out, and their diseases would be healed. If they were limp and they were able to get into the water, they were able to be healed, and the man all his life couldn't get to the pool. And Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, pick up your mat. When he showed his faithfulness, or his faith, God showed up with his faithfulness. Um, it's a ridiculous principle, but this is how God works. God will send the water, and only he can, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. The second principle is this. Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. We serve a God who can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask, think, or imagine. And we serve a God that big. But real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. I want you to think about this. How do you dig a ditch? No, really, how do you dig one? I don't know how. Um, well, you start with a shovel, right? Have you ever seen a shovel? I don't know what kind of spade they were using in the 9th century B.C., in 2 Kings, but if he's using a shovel, it doesn't move a whole lot of dirt at once. A trench just doesn't magically appear. It takes a little sweat, it takes a little blood, a little, what's the phrase, blood, sweat, and tears, that's the phrase. Get it together, Daniel. Like a trench doesn't happen overnight. Um, I worked in our flower bed. There's no flowers anymore, so it's just a, a bed now, I guess. Um, I worked on it yesterday, and I had a shovel, and I was thinking about this story and the shovel, and I just remember thinking, this does not move that much dirt at once. It's, it's just not very much dirt at once. So while God asks you to believe big, he will often ask you to start small. What does it look like to believe God big, but to start small? It's... It's following the words of Zechariah here, Zechariah 4. He says this, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And God loves when we participate in what he is already doing, because when he can see our faith, and he understands that our faith is working on his, next, on his behalf, all of a sudden... God's faithfulness shows up. Look at how the story ends in 2 Kings. The next morning, 
about the time for an offering, for a sacrifice, there it was. Water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Second Kings 3 is the story. I'd encourage you to read through the rest of the story and see how God continues to provide for Elisha and these three kings. But don't ever forget that your biggest need can become your biggest blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Here's a situation where their biggest need was water. Their animals were at risk of losing their life. The soldiers weren't going to be very good. Uh, They weren't going to be strengthened. And they were at danger of losing their life. So their biggest need, water, drove them to God. And there is a need in your life. And as soon as it gets big enough or you put enough value onto that need, that need becomes actually a blessing in your life because it will drive you to the feet of Jesus. And only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants us to dig a ditch. What would it look like for us to believe big, but to start small? Boy, my heart and my prayer is for a church that is full of people who will think big, but be willing to start small. Believing by faith long before there is any sign of water that if we do the work that God has called us to do, he is faithful enough to send the water. So what is, what is the greatest need in your life? Is it a relationship? Is it a career thing? Is it a school thing? Is it a money thing? What is the greatest need? And now I want you to think, what would it look like for you to be driven to God because of this need. And then all of a sudden, the stories of your life, the the frame of your life is not defined by your need, but by the way God showed up for your need. It's defined by the way that we look at fear in the face and we say, you know what, I am no longer a slave to the fear. I'm a child of God. I'm going to rest in the promises of an almighty God. What would it look like for your need to actually drive you closer to God so that although while we believe God for the very biggest things in our life, we're willing to start small and we're willing to, uh, to, to look at our lives in a different lens and to say, God, how will you show up here? The next morning about the time for the offering, the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom. And the land was filled with water. It's an amazing story of how God shows up even though we don't expect him to. And I pray that God would speak to our hearts about what it looks like to be driven to God by our greatest need. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, I pray that you would build the faith of this church. This church family, both corporately and individually. That we would be different, God, because we are in your presence And we are choosing faith over fear. There's a portion of our life where we could identify the greatest need. What is that area? We're going to take a moment with our heads bowed as we pray today. And I just want to ask you a few questions, three questions this morning. As we close and we reflect and we respond. Question number one, I wonder how many of you at this moment in your life, you are facing a significant need in your life. And you need prayer today. There is a need so severe, so big, so significant that you are at a place where you have to give it to God. I'm going to ask you at this moment where
the piano's playing and our heads are bowed just to give us some privacy where you have this moment where you can give that need to a loving and gracious God. Question number two today, I wonder how many of you, either in this point of your life or maybe wherever you face a need, that you desire the faith that will move you in the direction of God, that you would have a faith to dig a ditch or whatever else God might call you to long before you see God do what he promises to do. You want God to increase your faith to the level where Fear doesn't have a chance. And that when he calls you to do something, you have the faith to trust him and to show his faithfulness. Father, I pray for these two groups of people today who are in need today. When it comes to the needs, Father, I I sympathize and I hurt with them. I don't have the, I, the details of every situation, God, but we thank you you that you do know and you do care and that you are here present God that you're working in all things even though we may not see it or feel it we put our faith in you God I pray that you would give us the great honor of showing our faith to you repeatedly and that you would give us opportunities to choose faith over fear God when you ask us to do something that is ridiculous or makes no sense whether it's to forgive someone, to love someone, to give, to trust, whatever that form of ditch you call us to dig. Father, we know and acknowledge that you are all-powerful and only you can do the miracles. But there are moments where you call us to obey. And so I pray as a church, we would, as the old hymn encourages us to do, simply trust and obey. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward while our heads are bowed. We're going to prepare to lead you in a couple of songs that declare the truth of what we have talked about. That we serve a holy, holy, holy and righteous God. And so we fall down in honor and worship before him. And then we're going to sing a song that simply declares, I am no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. In a few moments, we're going to have the opportunity to take communion. There are stations all around our auditorium. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we encourage you during that time to make your way to one of the stations. There'll be a gloved masked attendant who will give you the elements, and you'll be able to take them back to your seat and honor our Savior with communion. There's one final question I'd like to ask in a moment. Scripture tells us this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God sent Jesus for us to die in our place as the sinless sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And on the third day, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty and Jesus rose. And so Scripture also declares, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
What does that mean? That means forgiven. That means that our sins are not held against us, that we are adopted into God's family, and we become a child of God. We're going to sing those words in a moment. I am a child of God. And how do we acquire that status? How are we able to declare that? It's not by anything we've done, but because of a Savior who loves us. So question number three is this. Have you put your trust in a gracious and a loving God who's called you to follow him? Boy, if you have not, we would encourage you that today is the day of salvation. It's the day where you have the opportunity to give your life to Christ. It's the opportunity for you to have the forgiveness of your sins granted so you could have meaning and significance in this life and the hope of eternal life in the next. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.